At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. We are committed to being gospel-focused and motivated while we are biblically holistic and humble. As a church family, we want to be in and in the community while being a place that is multi and next generational. As we reflect Jesus in our words and actions, we are united in and honoring diversity. And in all of this, we will prioritize relational and missional discipleship. As we look to the next generation, we have a loving, selfless, always present, and ever caring example in Jesus. Let's be that in our community. Morning, Riverview. All right. Hey, it's good to be with you. The sun is shining this morning. Finally. Yes. We will get there. We will get there. Uh, no, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, Westside Venue Director. I'm just thankful to worship with you all this morning. Uh, over the past seven weeks here at Riverview, at all of our venues, we have been in a series that we've been calling Let's Be That, as you just saw in that video. Um, our goal was, of this series was really to share this, this new mission statement and this set of core values that we have um, as a church. And our new mission statement says this, at RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. And flowing out of that mission statement, the first message in this series is all about that. There's these six core values that we are committed to as a church. And, and, what, and those have been on the, the back wall here of this entire series and these cool little stickers. Uh, but those core values say this, that we want to be gospel-focused and motivated. We want to be biblically holistic and humble. We want to be in and in the community. We want to be multi and next generational. We want to be united in and honoring diversity. And, and, and all of those things we want to pursue with this last core value that we're talking about this morning, and that's a posture of relational and missional discipleship. So if you missed a message in this series, or if you want to learn more about those, those core values, you can go to our website, rivchurch.com slash beliefs. Um, you can find that online, find that on our app. Um, we, we really do expand on these core values, why we, we pick them, and, and really we go into all the different scripture passages and where these core values are rooted. So feel free to jump on there this week if you want to learn more. But today, we're wrapping up this series by looking at this concept of discipleship. Now, the, the word disciple um, is one that often has a connection uh, with Christianity. When people hear that word, they may think of church, or they may think of faith, or the Bible, or anything like that. But the word disciple is actually connected to, in a much broader context. Because another word for disciple is the word follower. Or it's a student. Or it can be an advocate, right? When we hear those words, we can begin to think about the different things in our life, in our culture, in our world today that we think about. If you're on Instagram... You don't have friends on Instagram or connections. You know what you have? Followers, right? People follow us there. You know, for much of our lives, we've been students of, of classes or at universities or of particular topics that we learn. We, we also may become advocates for things, things that we're very passionate about, that when we're with people, we talk about it or we share things with them. There's all these different words for disciple, and as I was thinking about this message and, and kind of spending time in the scriptures this week, there was a quote that I found um, from a couple thousand years ago, A.D. 50 uh, or so, from this Greek philosopher named Epictetus. And he wrote this. He said, you become 
what you give your attention to. And that quote made me pause, made me think, okay, what am I paying attention to in, my, in this season of my life? What am I following, really? Like, who am I becoming as a person? Because the truth is, there's things in our lives that we follow, right, that disciple us, that change us, that, that we become like. We're all disciples of something, whether it's algorithms on social media or particular news feeds that we swipe through on our phone or, or authors we read, shows we watch, podcasts we listen to, we're often shaped and molded by these voices, by things we give our ears to and our minds to in our lives. That quote made me stop and think about myself. So what about you? What are you giving attention to in this season of your life? What are you being changed by? Who are you following? Who are you becoming more like? And and whatever that thing is, the final question that we need to wrestle with is, is that thing satisfying your soul? This morning, we're going to open up the word uh, together, and we're going to look at uh, what it means for us as individuals and us as a church family to have that person that we follow be Jesus. Why Jesus needs to be the one who changes us, that we're becoming more like. Because that's really what we believe discipleship is. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 1. This is in the New Testament. We're going to be flying all over the Bible today. We've kind of done that in this series. We pick a lot of different verses to kind of really show where these core values come from. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, which is one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. And when you see the word disciple in the Bible, the Greek translation of that word is very similar to what we understand it to be today. It's a follower or it's a student. In the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts, the word, that word disciple was used to describe people who were following Jesus, who had believed in him. So to be a Christian today, you are a disciple. That's who you are. You're a learner. You're a student. You're a follower of him. And at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. This is, what he, this is who he was. And he began to call people to be his students, to be his followers, his disciples. But what was really interesting about Jesus was he went about it in, in a way that was a little bit different. Because a rabbi in the first century, they would call students to learn from them in their interpretation of the Jewish law, the Jewish Torah. Each rabbi had maybe a different interpretation, different way they looked at things. But what Jesus invited people into was that, but so much more. And we see that in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. This is when Jesus calls this first group of people to be his disciples. Starting in verse 16, Mark chapter 1. As Jesus passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Okay, so here's what's going on. Jesus shows up by the Sea of Galilee. It's just kind of this lake there um, over in the Middle East. And what he does is he sees this group of men who were fishermen. They were just doing their jobs. What these guys did was they would catch fish, take them to the market, they'd sell them, and that was how they made their living. But what he does is he goes up to them and he invites them into this life of following him, to leaving everything they know and becoming disciples. But what he does, he actually does it in a peculiar way. 
He Notice he uses language, he uses experiences that connect with these men. He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. <laughs> You're not going to catch fish anymore. Your life is going to be about other human beings. And we see here that Jesus is offering a, a life-changing invitation to be one of his disciples. And there must have been something about Jesus or, or his invitation that caused these men to pause because they say yes. They give up this life that they had. You know, maybe it was the honor of being chosen by a rabbi in the first century. Maybe it was a way out of what they were doing. Maybe they wanted something a little bit more meaningful that they were being called into. We don't know. But what we see is that right away, these four young men, they choose to leave their life of being fishermen behind to become disciples of Jesus. You know, as time goes on, this group of four becomes this group of 12, this first group that Jesus had to be his first followers. And, and it was this initial group that started that Christianity would eventually just blow up. It would go, begin to go throughout the world, and it started with this first group of people. But before that would happen, Jesus spent three years of his life with these guys in a process of discipleship. You know, the first line of this core value that we have as a church, of, this is how we define discipleship here at Riverview. It's the lifelong journey of being changed by, following, and becoming more like Jesus. That's what discipleship is. And for these disciples, they weren't only learning Jesus' interpretation of the scripture. It wasn't just head knowledge that they were thinking like, oh, that's, that's what that means. No, they were learning more how to become like their rabbi. <laughs> Jesus was shaping them to become more like him. And while that process began in those few years with them, it continued on in those disciples for the rest of their lives. The same is true for us today. If you're a Christian, it is a lifelong journey from the first day that you choose to, to put your faith in Jesus, that God saves you, until the last day that you're here on this earth. The phrase you should use to describe yourself is in process. <laughs> we will not arrive. You know, we can never say, you know what? I think I'm at this point in my life where I'm done growing. I think Jesus has made me as good as he's going to make me. Like, I'm done, I'm done trying. Like, that's never going to happen, okay? We're always changing because we all have things in our lives that we follow, right, that we give our attention to, that we're being shaped by. But the thing that sets Christian discipleship apart from all those other things is where it's focused. It's on Jesus. As Christians, our lives are marked by this process of being changed by him of following him, of becoming more like him. All throughout the Bible, we see verses that show God driving this process in us. I just picked three. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Look at what this says. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God is doing this process of conforming us, of changing us to look more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. This process is also described in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi that I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Becoming a Christian is this process that God begins, that he continues for a lifetime. 
That is who we are if Christ has saved us. You know, this isn't something that we opt into, like as Christians. It's not like, oh, I can choose that. It's inevitable, okay? This is what God does in us. If your heart has been changed by the gospel of Jesus, if that is who you are, God will make you more like his son. It is. This is the discipleship process. This happens as the word begins to change our hearts, our minds, as we begin to understand who God is, who we are, that we reflect on who Jesus is in our lives. But what does that process actually look like in a believer? Well, the next line of our core value describes this process with two words. It says this, this messy and grace-driven process. <laughs> this is what it looks like. It's a messy and grace-driven process, and it happens best through the mutual sharing of our lives. We have to remember that this process that we're on as, as Christians, it's something that, yes, we put an effort in, but it's driven by the grace of God. God does this in us, and it's messy. It's often painful, and it's often just really bumpy. But it's this process of growing up. Just like when you're a kid, growing up, it's hard sometimes. It's the same way as a Christian. You know, I remember when Noel, one of our pastors here, he shared a, a chart of what the path of spiritual maturity looks like uh, for a Christian. And it, and it encouraged me just so much. Uh, because I saw myself on this chart. This is it right here. Like, this is us, y'all, okay? Like, this is who we are. Um, so at the very beginning, you're, you're not a Christian, right? You're like, oh, okay, now spiritual maturity happens, and you're growing, and then guess what? Life happens. <laughs> Things are hard. We're growing, and then we're not, and then we are, and then we're kind of not, and then we shoot up, and then we shoot down, and then we we don't even know where we're at in the chart most of the time. But here's the thing. At the end of our life, we look a little bit more like Jesus than we did at the beginning. The life of a believer, it's not this clean, linear line upward where it's just, man, everything about me is just getting better and better and better. That is happening, but it's got a lot of twists. It's got a lot of turns. It's a messy process. But that process, we have to remember, it is driven by the grace of God. <laughs> We, we, we love and we serve a God of forgiveness. He's a good father <laughs> and we're his kids. He loves us. He brings us along. Because when a person becomes a Christian, God as the Holy Spirit moves into that person's life and makes them more like Jesus. That comes through the word, right? Taking root in our hearts and our minds. That is his grace to us. And that bumpy, loopy path that we take, we don't do that alone, I think we often convince ourselves of that, right? That our, my faith is my thing that I have to work on by myself. We don't believe that's true. We believe that this, the, the path of discipleship happens best through the mutual sharing of our lives. Again, we see this all throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul he wrote much of the New Testament, and a lot of what he wrote were letters uh, to local churches, some of them that he helped plant, that he had spent time with, that he'd left, and, and he had wrote uh, to them. And one letter he wrote was this church in Thessalonica. And in this letter, he recalls all the different things that he and these other apostles did when he was with them. And I wanted to read these eight verses, because what Paul is doing is he is reminding them of, look at how we shared our life with you, <laughs> This is part of our, our, our discipleship process. I just want you to like, look at the various things that Paul talks about. In, in 1, Thessalon 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, 
So he's writing this church. He says, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and we were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impunity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nurse or a mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we wouldn't burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. And, and, and as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, we comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Okay. So what I think Paul is doing here is he's bringing forth this reminder to this church of how they became disciples, how they believed, and what that, how that process started for them. It was the mutual sharing of their lives. Look at some of the things he says. Verse 7, we were gentle among you as a mother nursing her children. Do you have that picture of a, of a mom with a new baby? <laughs> That was the Apostle Paul with this group of people. They were baby Christians, and he was gentle with them. Verse 9, we worked night and day. We, we worked jobs alongside you. We found work in Thessalonica just, just like you guys did so we could be with you. Verse 11, like a father with his own kids. Do you have that picture? A dad with, with, a, with a new little baby that's trying to walk. <laughs> right? We encouraged. We comforted. We implored you. To walk worthy of God. As Paul and these other apostles saw the time they had with this group of people, they reflected on their life with them. They ate meals. They worshiped with them. They worked jobs alongside them. They discipled people through the mutual sharing of their lives. Verse 8 is such a powerful verse for me of chapter 2, where he writes this, We cared so much for you that we were pleased. We were pleased. It brought us joy to do these things to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, to share ourselves because you had become dear to us. You know, I love that Paul talks about those two things that he shared with this community. First, we were pleased to share the gospel with you. The gospel is, is who Jesus is, that Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness of sin and life in him. That is what Paul and these apostles would go and that's the message they would share that through Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven, we can be redeemed people, forgiven people. We can have life in him. It's belief in that truth that gets someone on the path of being a disciple. That was the first thing that Paul shared with these people, but look at how he did it. He said, we shared our own lives with you. We shared us with you because you had become dear to us. You know, one thing that's such an encouragement to me about Christianity is that it's not a solo effort. It's not an individual pursuit. I remember Tyler St. Clair <laughs> preaching here um, last year, and he was talking about, like, hey, this is a group project. 
Like when he said that, I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> We're in this together. Our, our culture that we live in idolizes this rugged individualism. And that's a way of life. It's, it's, it's noble to not need other people. Our strength, this says, is seen in our ability to get through things on our own. And if we need to ask for help, then we are weak. And how this impacts our faith is that we often go about our Christian faith alone. We try and understand the scripture alone. We only pray alone. We, we, we aren't known by other believers, but Christianity is communal in nature. It is everywhere in the Bible. You saw it in Thessalonians. What do you say? Brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our father. Jesus is our big brother. Over and over again, these reminders that at the very core of our faith as individual Christians, we are united. We mutually share our lives together. So when we do that, when we commit to knowing people, being known ourselves, sharing our stories, our struggles, our experiences, our hardships, our blessings, we are doing the very things that God has wired us to do. We're experiencing his grace amidst other people. It's life in community. It's a messy, grace-driven process. <laughs> That's what it is. But we do so alongside one another. You know, so far we've kind of looked at some of what discipleship is, like what the process kind of looks like, but it's really important for us to know the why of discipleship. What is the heart of this? Why is this something that's even a reality for us? Well, the last line of the core value kind of gets at this, where it says, when thinking about discipleship, we believe that, the great, that it should have the great commandment at its heart and the great commission as its trajectory. Now, I'm going to explain what that means. First, the great commandment. There was an experience that Jesus had in his ministry. He had a lot of times where he was interacting with people. But there was one moment um, of, of, of a few where he, these two re- groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were, they disagreed about a lot of things, but they had a common enemy in Jesus. So they came together and they're like, hey, we got to figure out how to, how to trick Jesus here or how to get him to kind of mess up. We're going to test him. And there's an expert in the law that came up to Jesus and asked him a very significant question. And this is in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 35. It says this, when the Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Okay, so it's, it's cool to see here how this lawyer approaches Jesus with a very negative view of this question. He, he's coming into this very selfishly <laughs> with a desire to get Jesus to, to kind of mess up and slip up here. But Jesus answered his question like he always did, truthfully. It's like, hey, you're asking the question, this is the answer. The greatest command in the Old Testament law was to love God. And it was to love your neighbor. Every other thing in the law, the other 613, this massive list of things that the Jewish people committed themselves to, all of those things rested on those two things. Loving God and loving people. Love is at the heart of discipleship. Love for God and love for others. I like how John, one of the disciples who, who wrote some of the New Testament as well, how he described this in a letter that he wrote to Christians in 1 John chapter 4. 
Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. All over, we see how God's love was revealed among us in Jesus. That is how we know that God's love for us exists. When Christ is at the center of our lives, his love for us, our acceptance in him, our identity secure in what he's done, we cannot help but have that overflow in love for him or other people. That's why we say the great command, the great commandment, that is at the heart of discipleship. But the path that discipleship takes from that heart or the trajectory, that is found in the great commission. You know, another word for trajectory, that's just a a path or a route that something goes on. And the great commission were the last words that Jesus gave his first disciples in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. So Jesus, at this point, he had resurrected from the dead. He had appeared to many people and he was with his disciples and some of them had begun to doubt. They didn't know how life was gonna happen without him there. And these are the last words that Jesus said. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then Jesus left. He ascended into heaven where he is right now, sitting at God's right hand. These were the last words. This was the monologue before the final credits rang, in a sense. And it was a commission It was a call to something. As disciples of Jesus, he said, go make other disciples. That's what you do. First thing you do, you go. You go where people are. Second thing you do is you baptize them. After people hear the gospel and they believe they should be baptized, this is the public demonstration of their faith. This is who they are now in me. And the last thing Jesus says, teach them. Teach them. The last three years with, these, with this group of people, Jesus taught them patiently like a loving father, <laughs> like a mother nursing her children. This is what Jesus did with these disciples. He's like, now go do that for other people. This is what the first disciples were to do. And what I love so much about that commission is that Jesus bookends it with promises. Before he tells any of the disciples what to do, do you know what he says? All authority has been given to me. I'm in charge here. (laughs) And the last thing he says is, I am with you always. That would have been a powerful truth to remember as Jesus ascended, to know that as Jesus was physically, bodily leaving, he would never leave them. He would be driving the effort of discipleship forward in the world. And it's here how we see those, those two intricate elements of discipleship wrapped together, how we become disciples of Jesus. And then our lives become about helping others do the same. There is an others focus to discipleship. 
you know, we live in a time and in a world where so many things compete for our attention. We do. For our worship, to become followers of. Right? As, as Epictetus said 2,000 years ago, we become what we give our attention to. And it's easy to give our attention to a lot of things. We have responsibilities, right? We have commitments. We do have to commit our time and energy to things like career and family and relationships and goals and aspirations. But as Christians, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are called to set our minds and our hearts on something first. And that's Jesus. And it's only when we do that do we realize that all of those other things that we give our attention to, those other things that we may follow, even though they're good, we do realize that they don't satisfy our soul the way that Jesus can. We begin to see those other things like our career, our relationships, our our hobbies, our, our goals, all these things as gifts rather than God's. So the question we have to answer for ourselves is, is Jesus who you are following? Does he have your heart? Or are you searching for what only he can give you and all these other things? You know, in thinking about discipleship, there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of ways people go about this in, in different ways. Earlier this week, I typed that word discipleship into Amazon just to look at all the books there are on discipleship. And everyone had a different word in front of it. Emotionally healthy discipleship. Real life discipleship. Deep discipleship. Transforming. Rediscovering. Fruitful. Organic. Again, all things that are talking about discipleship in a particular way, which is great. But when we've thought about the core value of discipleship, what is essential to that process of Jesus, um, of God making us more like Jesus, we pick two words. We think discipleship is both relational and missional. It's those two things. First way is it's relational. We share our lives with people. We commit to knowing others and being known ourselves. We need other people, (laughs) in this journey, right? I mean, it's not individual. So the question I I really want us to wrestle with this morning is what would that look like for you? What does it look like to go about your faith with others? You know, I I think it can be a life group. It can be something that we we do that's more established. It can be as simple as just another brother or sister in Christ that that we have in our life that knows us deeply, that we can ask questions to, like this. Where have you seen growth in my life as a disciple? Then ask the follow-up question of, where haven't you? That's a harder question. How could I better reflect Jesus' character with my words, my attitudes, my actions? See, discipleship happens in these spaces where we're known and we know other people. But while we believe that discipleship is relational in nature, we believe it's also missional. We see the great commission. This is an invitation into the work that God is doing in the world. What so so encourages me about the Great Commission is that Jesus, he invites us into that, but it's not up to us. We cannot change the hearts of people. (laughs) Only God can do that. He is the authority. He is with us. But like a good father with his kids, he invites us to do that work alongside him. You know, there's people in my life that I hope this for. I know that's true for you. There's people in your life that you hope would become Christians who would share in the joy that you have. But for me, it can be a struggle to be missional with those people because I can deal with this fear of I don't want to be the pushy Christian. 
or the pushy pastor, that people are only gonna think that I only care about them to, to get them to Riverview or to make a decision for Jesus. Like that's convicting for me. That I can often forsake an invitation uh, for someone to be a part of our church family, to come and be a part of our family because of how they might view me. Or that the, the, there might be the awkward silence in the conversation. But see, that's why relationships are so important. <laughs> when we take time to care about what people care about, to listen, to ask good questions, to just let people be themselves with us, that's so important. You know, something that I have just really enjoyed in my life with, with people and getting to know them, it's just asking them the question, what's your story? What's your story? Who are you? Because that is an invitation for a person to be known. <laughs> and it's an invitation for us to know them. How we can pray for them. How we can share our lives with them. How we can see that we've had similar experiences. Maybe how we can see how the gospel can change their lives as it has changed ours. You know, for me, I've really tried to commit to being neighborly in my life, which I want to keep doing. But I want that neighborly posture to turn into a missional posture toward trusting God in conversations with people, walking through doors that God opens about church and about faith and about what it means to be a Christian. I want to walk into those confidently, and I hope that we can as a church. You know, one thing that I've really enjoyed about this series has been getting to hear stories have been getting to see how people in our church have, have been living out these core values and seeing how they've just become such a reality in their life. And this morning, uh, we're gonna hear a story from three women in our church whose, whose lives of discipleship, <laughs> of becoming more like Jesus, have been intricately woven together in ways that they didn't even realize until they were, began talking together. It was so cool. So I'm gonna pray for us, uh, and then we're gonna hear this conversation. So let's pray. God, as we just think about discipleship of this process of you making us more like Jesus, God, I am so thankful that that is a process that's driven by grace, that you promise to complete that process, that that, that, that is you. And God, as we read your word, as we live lives in community, as we just commit to sharing our lives with one another. God, there is that, it's in those things that we experience that grace. This is the life that you have saved us and called us into. And it's a life of relational and missional discipleship. God, we're so grateful for that. And as we, as we watch this, this story of how, of how you just knit us together, God, I just pray that we are encouraged to know that we can have that same thing by knowing others and being known ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's hard to put into words the magnitude of feeling like I had a family who cared about me for who I was and who was fighting for me spiritually and emotionally. We started coming to our house because the dorms didn't serve um, Sunday dinner. Mm -hmm. And so we had Sunday dinner at our house with, I don't know, 10 to 40 people. <laughs> we had five little kids. You would come into the middle of the chaos. I'd stand on one side of the bed, you'd stand on the other. We folded loads and loads of laundry or just did whatever had to be done while talking because I couldn't, you know, put my kids in a room by themselves. That taught me so much, coming over and listening to you and how you parented has truly changed 
my life and how I parent, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with the Lord, that was a treasure. For me too. And me too. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Anne-Marie lived with us. Yeah. You would always just open up the floor to just like talk and get to know me, you know? It was, it was so easy to like That's great. be friends and, and di disciple each other, mm -hmm. you know? I was able to see the fruit of Jesus through you of being like, it's okay to be honest and it's okay to be real and authentic and people won't get mad at you or tell you that like your feelings aren't valid. Like you care and you love me and you want me to be honest. It was always like, I accept you and I love you first, which I think is exactly what Jesus does to us. Yeah. I love you and I accept you and I understand you're sinful and I still want you and I still want to know you and care about you and love you. So you have like this authenticity that you allow other people to bring to you to then change the relationship to be really fruitful and truthful and, and growing together because that's, what, that's who you are. That's who, that's who God has made you, you know, is this authentic person that just loves him so much that wants other people to feel loved by him. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for it to be, um, for you to see the Lord and what he's done and how he's changed our lives. And so then you can go and share that with others. And since the example is Jesus, then it's okay to make mistakes in front of one another. You know, we can change together too. And then, you know, Jesus covers all. All multitude of sins, yeah. So indeed it is stumbling. <laughs> That's a relationship, is stepping out on a branch that you think might crack. That's friendship is being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. God made us to be in community together, to share our lives, the good and the bad. It's the, right, the suffering that you go through this so that you can teach someone else. Learning from those mistakes, sharing my ugly. Anita, you would pour wisdom into that and turn it around and I'd be able to see God in that ugly and see him working for the good in it. And I feel like I learned the same things. Like I was able to see how you did your real authentic life you invited me into that. And so like, I could see how you pursue Jesus to be more like him through you. Yeah, it's so clear to me that we can't do it alone mm -hmm. because it's those moments that are so, that have locked into my brain with community and with family that are so encouraging. Being able to talk with other people about the Bible and dive in, um, hear your thoughts and the different, what you get from different verses, that gets me excited. And I can't do that without you guys. I can't do that without community. I really feel like you should, you know, have somebody older than you, someone your age, and then be pouring into someone who's younger. You would come over and I'd be so excited saying, look, you taught me all these things and look, I get to do them with Anne Marie. And then you would say, right, because someone taught me. I lived with another family. That is incredible to me that it's just the same generation after generation passing this on. Because it was so new to me in college. It was brand new to see a family focus solely on the word and then loving God and loving others. You saw that from Anita, but then I saw that from you. It is the learning back because you would encourage me so much. It is like that full circle of like, you know, we learn and then we share. Mm-hmm.